Oh boy. I'm pretty sure we just pulled a hard 180. Yes, we did. <laughs> Woo! It's October 4th at midnight, and we know it's been a long time, but we're back. So strap yourselves in. Welcome back to Midnight Theology, the late night ponderings of four pastor friends. I'm your host for today, Larry Frank, and I am joined by Gabe Wank. Hey, everybody. Sarah Wank. Hey, y'all. And Adam Penn. Howdy. Guys, I really missed Midnight Theology. Uh, it's been too long since we've done this. The last time that all four of us were together uh, was April's episode. That's insane. Um, and then, it, yeah, mm. um, yeah, life happens, right? <laughs> uh, and in in May, Adam and I had our spouses, Brittany and Jessica, on to talk about uh, Wesleyan perspectives on health. We talked about mental health, physical health, um, nutritional health, um, all of those things that we promptly completely ignored um, <laughs> right after um, but we hope it was enlightening to everyone else yeah we hope it was good for everyone else um just didn't happen for us preaching uh, to the choir <laughs> yes right uh and uh gabe and sarah were in the midst of moving at uh, at that time we had every intention of being together this summer but uh, we'll get into that in a minute uh so just as a regathering uh, of sorts, um, let's update our listeners, all five or six of them, <laughs> on uh, what's going on with us so they don't forget who we are. We talk all the time. We know what's going on with each other. Uh, but let's share that out there. Adam, what's going on in your world? Well, there's been a lot of changes in the Penn household over the last couple of months. Um, my wife, Jessica, has returned to work full-time as a sign language interpreter. She's interpreting remotely for a school up in Iowa, and uh, she's really enjoying that. Then our oldest went off to kindergarten, and our youngest Aww. is now in preschool. So we've got two kiddos in school. Jess is working full-time, and... I'm still living the dream at Armstrong United Methodist Church. So that's what's going on in our world. All right. Wanks, how's the new digs up there? Go ahead, Sarah. I'll let you start. You're hanging out in your new amazing Zoom room brought to you by. Yours, yours We're broadcasting truly. live from the Zoom room. It's from the Zoom room. Yeah, we, um, we moved. So we are now in a. The Quad City area um, up in Northwest Illinois on the Mississippi Iowa border um, have been here since middle of June, and I spent a couple of hours last night unpacking boxes. If that tells you anything, we're still in the transition process, uh, but it's been so good. So this is the first time um, since right after we were married that Gabe and I are serving together um, in the same church. It's the first time that we're serving together as a clergy couple. Um, and we are six Sundays in, I think, to um, to our new appointment at Christ Church, maybe seven. Uh, so uh, the people have been so kind, um, so, so generous, so loving. We feel like family already. And um, just really thankful to be here and keep figuring it out. Hudson's adjusting like a champ. Uh, he turned 10 this summer in the middle of the move. Um, and Minnie, our little dog, she uh, runs the backyard to make sure she runs off any squirrels and raccoons, which is a, a, a new a new job responsibility for her she's really living into. She's living her best life, honestly, the dog. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> uh, she is living her best Cavalier King Charles life, uh, chasing all the uh, woodland animals. <laughs> and you've got plenty of them in the backyard. It's, uh, yes, it's a really nice wooded uh, sanctuary. And, it is beautiful. Uh, Minnie's all in for it. So Yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, Sarah, have I to- told you my theory on keeping an unpacked box for a while to remind people that you're new? <laughs> like I, so- someone, someone gave me that advice as a new pastor. They said, leave an unpacked box in your office for like the first year to remind people that you're new. Um, and so I'm in gonna... year four right now. I- I'm in year four. I just started year four in this appointment and I still have an unpacked um, Rubbermaid tote right inside my office door. Um, and I-, I don't know if I can claim it as new, but I mean, I'm OCD about every other area of my life, but I mean, it, there, there's something freeing about saying, you know, I'm still new. Yeah. Well, I won't have to worry about it. That will be Gabe. Um, my Bring office has no boxes. Gabe's Gabe still has a few. So, <laughs> and they join together. They do. We have so a nice see door. Yeah. But I, I, do, I need to confess, I, I have the boxes in my office and some books on the shelves. Sarah has no boxes, but her books on her shelves go a, a step above. They are color coordinated. You heard that right. Yeah, I'm so jealous of that. I'm so jealous. <laughs> hey, it took like 30 seconds to do. You should give it a shot, but... I figure I'm going to try this as an organizational system because <laughs> I I can remember the cover, right? So when somebody like asks me for a book or I remember a book, I remember by what it looks like, not by the author. And so that way I can um, hopefully get to it a little faster. It's also pretty, but we'll see. We'll see if it stays I have a way. separate shelf right now for, for all the books I need for doctoral research. And then that's very organized. All of my other bookshelves are a hot mess. Yeah. Um, and so maybe because pastors you can, have so uh, freaking many books. Yeah, maybe you could help me out and color coordinate sometime. Yeah, Adam, how are you playing out with the um, the one box and the color coordination of books? So I do not color coordinate my books. I organize my library by topic. So I have all my commentaries in one place, all my books on devotion and prayer in another place, all my books on pastoral care. I do have a box in my office right now, but it's not from moving. It's a box full of books that I got for free for a study group, but nobody knows that. I mean, nobody knows what's in that box. So there is a box in my office currently. It's just now you've not been there moving. long enough that you could like, you know, turn some heads with the box. <laughs> I like, was going like, to say, make them, make them think you're packing up. <laughs> Pastor, what, what's that what box point, doing in your office? You like, at what year us? does it go from I'm unpacking to I'm packing, right? Like reminding the congregation that you don't stay forever. <laughs> what is the tip? I don't know. That's, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. Cause I'm, I'm in year four and so far it's still been accepted as he hasn't New. unpacked. I'll let you know when it changes. Cause this yeah. box isn't going anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. Uh, so, Hey, um, I'm still uh, in, in Tremont and I still like, it's a bad thing. No, I, I love it in, uh, in Tremont still working on, uh, the demon at uh, United, um, and Brittany and I got um, unexpected, joy-filled news this um, this summer. Uh, we're expecting our third child in March. Um, until further notice, a baby that we're calling Baby Buck, because that was uh, Sayla's reaction when we told her. She went right to Brittany's belly and said, "Hi, baby brother." I'm going to call you Buck. Um, <laughs> we have no idea, boy or girl, uh, but Buck has has stuck. So, stuck. Um, yeah, so we're, um, you know, uh, best laid plans of mice and men. We're, uh, we're readjusting <laughs> our our life around this, um, this uh, very exciting uh, uh, interruption and uh, marching towards that. Brittany has got a couple of job prospects, um, so she's planning on working up until she has the – 
has the baby. Uh, both girls are in school uh, full time. First time for Sela uh, because of the pandemic. She only did one year of preschool, missed her second year. Uh, so she's in kindergarten. Uh, Marky's in first grade, and they both love it. Like they just they think that school is better than summer. And I'm not sure how long that's going to last. Um, I promise it will change at some point. They won't think school is better than summer. But for now, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna roll with it. And they both love school, so. Uh, okay, so there's an update on all of us. Um, now to the main event. Uh, what we're going to focus on today is a uh, Wesleyan biblical theology of grief. And my, I think there's a good possibility that this spills over into a second episode um, okay. because we have a lot to talk about here. It's kind of where we're at as a culture uh, right now. Um, uh, Wanks, I want you to tell us your story of living in, in grief this summer, how you're walking through that, a grief that we've uh, all entered into in varying degrees. I, I, ho- I hope by now people have picked up that um, we're, we're not just casual friends. We're, we're family uh, mm-hmm. together. Uh, so we've, um, we've all entered into this in, in some way or another and felt it um, uh, deeply. Um, and then as much as we have time or how it spills over into the next episode, talk about uh, how we all, and by we, I mean the whole church, the whole culture are living really in a place of ashes and lament and what to do with that. Um, I had a pretty profound experience with lament at the New Room Conference last week and made a blog post that's kind of blown up um, uh, in in incredible uh, ways. Um, I'm thinking we might be able to talk about that on the next episode, but I think we'd all agree that as Christians, we're, we're pretty bad at letting ourselves feel the things of grief. Like I was reared in a church culture where everything had to be about joy. If, if, if you were feeling down, if you were experiencing grief or trauma, then you didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And while that's true, that doesn't mean that everything has to be hunky-dory. Uh, when bad things happen, you just moved on in that culture. And I, what I think we're all learning is that uh, grief is hard, but there's grace in it as well. It's not something that can be rushed. Um, so uh, I'm going to hit mute on, uh, on my mic. Uh, and uh, Gabe, Sarah, uh, take us in. Well, yeah, thanks, Larry. Um I, it's it's hard. It's a bit surreal to to realize that we um, just a few months ago had shared with you on Midnight Theology uh, the incredible story of um, the miracle that was unfolding in our lives. Uh, so if you're listening and you you haven't quite heard the backstory, you will need that information just to understand what's what's unfolding in our lives in its fullness. And that's episode four of Midnight Theology when we talk about. Uh, God working miracles, as Gabe and I experienced truly, truly uh, a physical healing that we would never have anticipated or expected in uh, the end of December of 2020. Um, and you all celebrated with us um, and walked through the gift of that pregnancy uh, with us. And it truly was uh, so incredibly life giving. That's not even the right word. I don't know that there's a way to um, to verbalize how special that season of pregnancy was for Gabe and I, um, experiencing the life that Bristol brought us. And um, I had really come to believe that I would never uh, know what it was like to feel a baby uh, move in my womb. Um, um, Every doctor's appointment I had ever had, um, anticipating a pregnancy that was all 12 years ago, um, it was always devastating news and difficult ultrasounds and, um, and, saying goodbye too early. 
And so this gift of Bristol's life for us was really um, a season of joy that we hadn't ever experienced before. Um, and you walked with us and heard the news as we were trying to reconcile um, the physical healing in her pregnancy, our pregnancy, and her life, and then kind of deal with some of the news that was unfolding in the spring with her diagnosis of Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect that came with that. Um, both of those uh, diagnoses were very uh, positive and hope-filled. Um, obviously, um, children and adults living with Down syndrome bring a joy to life and a special perspective on life that's really, um, I think, a gift from God, and we were preparing for that. Um, and it's not uncommon for kids with um, Down syndrome to have a congenital heart defect. And they found one in Bristol um, this spring. But the diagnosis there was very positive, um, that she would need a surgery three to six months after she was born, um, but that surgery would fix um, her heart for the rest of her life. It would be a non-issue. And so those things were blindsiding in the midst of um, this good news of pregnancy. And uh, in the podcast, uh, we walked through that together, how to reconcile the God of miracles who who performed um, a physical miraculous healing of his own choice, um, yet to have within it difficult diagnosis and um, what seems like human imperfection, right, especially with her her heart defect. Um, and and reconciling the tension of God being good and God providing miracle, and yet um, not unfolding that kind of in the perfect way that we would imagine as as God doing a work. Um, I I don't know that I can stress enough that those diagnoses, though difficult for us to navigate, did not darken the joy that we were feeling and experiencing as part of her life with us. Um, and we were preparing for that. You guys were uh, walking with us and gave us that summer off of podcasting because we were anticipating um, the physical move and our reappointment and then her birth shortly thereafter. And you may have seen um, on our social media the announcement um, that things just did not go the way we anticipated this summer. And we're happy to walk you through a bit of that story because I know you 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 celebrated with us, um, and I know you grieve with us. Um, so it was, I believe, June 10th. Uh, we had packed the house, and the movers came to Washington. Um, it was the hottest uh, two days of the entire summer, I deeply believe. <laughs> and uh, Gabe and the guys that came to move us worked so hard and got us out of the house um, in Washington on a Thursday and moved us into the house in East Moline on uh, Friday and <laughs> took such good care of me in the process, the 35-week pregnant lady um, demanding that I sit down and put my feet up and <laughs> uh, to not lift things. And um, they were, everyone was just so, so generous and kind. And um, it was a hard physical move, but we got here um, successfully. We then spent that next day, the Saturday, actually back in Washington, um, going back for a, a baseball game that Hudson had um, and wanted to help maintain some continuity for him a bit um, so that he could have some newness in his new life and some reassurance in the life he was he was leaving. And so we went back for a ball game and uh, stayed in the Peoria area that night um, because we were just uh, exhausted from the physical move and uh, needed the rest. Um, Sunday morning, because we were off at that point, um, we did some things to kind of wrap up our 
um, exit from the Washington House and uh, went over and did some some final steps of cleaning out the tiniest little things. It took just a few minutes. Um, and well, then started back up. You went inside. You went inside, <laughs> laid down on your back in the air conditioning. On the carpet, yeah. <laughs> and, and made sure that I checked off the list. Yes, game checked sure. out the yeah. list. Yeah. Well, I laid that's on the carpet. My, that's not for my props. That's for you were resting and we were wrapping things up. <laughs> yeah, people. everyone was taking such good care of me. Uh, I think everyone was so worried that I would be too stressed out and too overwhelmed or doing too much. Um, and and so I, I went in and, and laid down. I was just exhausted, uh, laid on the carpet. Uh, Gabe finished things up. Uh, we headed back up the road. We grabbed tropical snow along the way. <laughs> and um, we needed to get back to, to East Moline because I had some doctoral work, a paper that I needed to finish and submit for school. And I started noticing uh, Sunday evening that she was quiet. Bristol was not um, moving in the ways that she typically was. Uh, looking back on it, I have these very vivid memories of Saturday night, uh, and we were li- with Larry um, and his his wife and family, so they will remember Saturday night and Sunday morning. Um, she was <laughs> kicking the crap out of me, to be honest. Um, was very busy, very very uh, moving a lot, and so Sunday night um, uh, when we got back to East Moline, I was just like, "This is it's weird. She's she's pretty quiet, and um, it stirs up." enough concern uh, when you've had our journey um, that I just, I was kind of on pins and needles. But I did the thing that um, when you when you live a life um, that tends towards worrying and anxiety, I tried to talk myself out of it, you know, that um, uh, she was tired too, right? And she was resting and I need not worry and I'll get a good night's sleep um, and she'll be, you know, in the morning, um, things will be okay. And so I woke up Monday morning um, and um, pregnant women, women who've had kids will understand. She, I, I woke up thinking, oh gosh, she didn't, she hasn't really moved. Um, and I did all those things that you're supposed to do, kind of drinking juice and eating to see if I could get her to wake up, if the influx of sugar would help, and was typing on my paper uh, for my demon and, and she, she didn't perk up. And I think my heart sank and I probably knew um, uh, inside the reality that we were about to experience. But I actually went back to our bedroom and took a nap and um, prayed. And um, I remember laying there praying, um, you know, that Jesus would wake her up and that he would fix her, um, miraculously heal her. He had done my healing, and I laid there and and just quietly prayed that he would heal her. And um, I remember... God being silent. Mm. And I don't mean that in the way of God didn't answer my prayer. I mean that I felt like I was in the presence of God, asking him a question, kind of begging him to wake her up. And almost as if God was looking at me and couldn't answer the question. Because I know now she was already gone. Um, as if God prepared my heart by telling me she was already gone and not answering my question that she was okay. Uh, I think it was the Holy Spirit preparing my heart, honestly, uh, for what would come. So we, Gabe sent me to the emergency room um, because of the things of COVID and because we had just moved 
we didn't feel like we could leave Hudson with anyone um, that he had been through so much already. So Gabe stayed at the house with Hudson and I went to the emergency room and told them that I hadn't felt or move. They whisked me back. Um, they couldn't find a heartbeat. They brought in a special um, ultra, ultrasound tech um, from the area to just confirm that. Um, and they, they really tried and watched for a long time to make sure there was no cardiac activity, and there wasn't. Um, and so they, they told me she was gone. And um, when the nurses and doctors left the room, I called Gabe and told him uh, she was gone, which we, I think, I think he especially was just totally blown away that that was the answer. Uh, really just hard to believe that she, that she was gone, but also, um, I don't know how to explain it. If it's the adrenaline from the move or a shock from the grief or both, but um, it also just felt very kind of matter of fact, like deeply sad, but also just, um, what do we do next, right? Like this, the process that unfolds of being there in the hospital. Um, yeah, sending sending you to the hospital, uh, being in the house, a new, new house with Hudson, unpacking and new community, um, and just staying busy with with him and keeping him entertained and distracted myself too, and receiving your call. It just I was I was sitting down, um, and you said the words that she was gone. Um, there's no heartbeat, and it just turned into a very practical response um, mm-hmm. for me uh, okay <laughs> and I get off the phone with you and, and I text some some old friends uh, that I knew I could entrust Hudson with that lived uh, a good three hours away and we met in the middle um, but I jacked up uh, his playlist on on my phone I said hey bud we're, we're, we're going we're gonna pack up we're gonna go we're gonna go have some fun I got a surprise for you uh, and I think he kind of knew too something was up because you were out of the out of the picture in the moment and he knew that you were somewhere um, but you know I turned the music up and listened to his favorite playlist and drove for an hour and a half to uh, to drop him off uh, and do a, a gas station swap um, and uh, with his good friend uh, from his birth they've been really good friends um, and then come back to you uh, safely but quickly and to be with you for the next few days uh, here in the uh, Moline area. But it was just very much, there, there was really no crisis uh, of thought or heart. It was just, okay, this is our new reality. Um, knowing that will, there will be plenty of time to process, but just wanting to be and take care of who was in my care, uh, Hudson and you uh, primarily. And then the next couple of days just really slowly unfold and all of a sudden everything in life, all the whirlwind of life and the move and the transition and the we're going to have a baby in, in four or five weeks, um, all of it just came to a screeching halt. And it was just you and I in a very empty room with very caring uh, care providers, nurses, um, doctors coming and going, um, but having just really shutting the whole world off. And it was just you and I in a room dealing with this very unexpected and tragic reality. Um, yeah, the grace of God showed up, you know, in, in so many different ways, and, and there are so many even in those few moments we've we've already described. Just um, having been with Larry and his family for a bit of respite and relief, um, 
before those difficult moments would come. Um, having connections and and friends and support systems that even though they weren't physically close would um, just responded in a heartbeat to be there and uh, take Hudson in their care. Um, the uh, I was whisked away not just to a room but to like their best room <laughs> um, that was off and removed and quiet and Gabe and I were literally shut in that room together for three days uh, and, and after the whirlwind of the move the chaos of the last few months um, to have that space um, to process the most difficult thing of our lives was just uh, a gift from God the, the team that cared for us was such a gift Um and even the shock, um, we're doing our best to describe it, you know, that what Gabe is saying, kind of matter of fact, um, it was something I felt. So, so don't hear that we weren't deeply sad, but also just God gave us strength and grace to say, okay, okay, right? So what do we, ha- what do we need to do? What's next? What do we need to take care of? Um, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, provided what we needed emotionally and physically to get through those days. I was actually just thinking this morning about how we, and I'm sure many women do, and this isn't to toot my horn, but you know we could have really crumbled in a way that would have made those days more difficult. The medical team having to um, convince us that this was happening, you know, um, and and convince us to endure the thing of labor, and they. They really didn't have to do that because the Holy Spirit provided strength to our spirit in the moment to do it. Um, Gabe took such good care of me. Um, so they had to induce labor, right? I'm, I was four weeks from having the baby, right? Um, and so the only option um, in getting her here um, um, is is to deliver. And so they induce labor, and that can be a, quite a long process um, in any circumstance. Um, and it was... Um, I was nervous about inducing because it's not always a smooth process and then we're in a difficult difficult place anyway. But I really was so fortunate, and I shouldn't say fortunate, I think just God was in every part. The medicines did exactly what they were supposed to do um, the first time, right? I didn't have to endure more difficult um, medicines that might have made things more painful. Uh, my body responded in the way, um, in in the easiest sort of way, to the medicines that were given to me, and um, and though it's still a long process, no matter what, um, I was in the emergency room Monday night. They spent most of Tuesday just letting the medicines work, um, and we delivered her. You know, Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning at four thirty nine a.m. I think. Um, she was, uh, the image that sticks with me is that her, her little body was so perfect. Um, so she was um, almost five pounds, and my, my mind is going blank at the moment, and she was born at 35 weeks, which uh, ironically is the same. Um, so Hudson, our 10-year-old, is adopted, but he was born at 35 weeks, and he was born at five pounds. And um, so she was she was five pounds and born at 35 weeks. And, and we'll have more to say about that in a second. But um, the team just wrapped her up and let us hold her. And uh, we spent the next five hours just rocking her and holding her and resting and trying to take her in. And um, a seven, wonderful... Seven hours. Seven hours? I counted. There's hours. a... There's a nonprofit. If you don't know about it in your area, you should because these things happen all the time, um, stillbirth and death. 
There's a nonprofit called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and they are professional photographers that volunteer their time to go into hospitals to take professional photographs of families in a, in a season of stillbirth so that you have those things to remember them. And that was so deeply important to me at the time. I, I knew that because we wouldn't get to see her again, you know, after we buried her, that I needed pictures to remember as much as I could. And that was an incredible gift to us at the time. Um, Gabe was so gracious and we held her. Yeah, and letting me rest. And while he's holding her, <laughs> also doing the work that comes with grief. We don't we don't talk a lot about that in the church, but anytime there's a death, there's so much business to do, right? Contacting the right people, uh, which funeral home you're going to use, what arrangements need to be made, who needs to know. Um, and he he became a buffer for me and handled those things like a champ. Um, <laughs> not ironically, you know, in a way that only God can do. The family that took Hudson in um, while we were were walking through this road and had had space to just hold her and love her happens to also own a funeral home outside of uh, Springfield, Illinois. And so they're they're some of our best and dearest friends. And the the people that were then caring for Hudson also came and got Bristol. Um, and took and cared for her body and prepared her body for burial. And um, just an incredible gift. Um, one of the most painful moments, I think, of, of my life, I'm sure Gabe would say too, was physically handing her body over um, to someone else, knowing that you wouldn't get her again. And to be able to do that, to be able to literally give her over to people who loved her as much as we did was um just want just a great gift and and God arranged that relationship 12 years ago you know who knew 12 years ago that we would need them in this kind of moment and so our dearest friend yeah walked into the hospital heard our story cared for us for a few moments and then took her uh, took her body while we were waited to be discharged from the hospital I want to make sure to just it it does not there's no way to describe when the presence of God is just so thick. You know, we hear songs about rain down your glory and 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 we, we do so much praise and thanks. But God shows up particularly when we are powerless. And in these moments, Sarah and I are absolutely powerless. And continue to recognize our powerlessness in life and yet see God at work. And in those moments and in every phone call or text that I sent out to the right people, to the people that needed to, needed to know what was going on, could know uh, what was going on, seemed to be the, the people that are, were available uh, by God to, to help us in, in, in each moment and continually just very powerful and in those moments uh, reaching out to those friends uh, trusting that there's nothing more that could be done uh, reaching out to uh, people connected to our conference and getting things cared for for the for the churches that and the people that we are uh, given charge of to care for and having no ability to do so. Uh, but God provided the right people 
over and over and over to step in and to step up into the places that it, that were needed and, and almost ordained uh, for for them to be in. You know, Larry and and Adam and their families uh, would have fought to be where we needed them to be had they known. And we just we at, at the time things were happening in, in the moment they were unaware. Uh, and we, they became aware uh, very quickly as, as some of the first to know after the emergent uh, emergencies were, 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 were handled and responded to. Um, and, and God just put everyone in the right spaces in the right places. Uh, it's just, it's beyond me. Um, and it really is. It's, it's beyond me. And to know that the Lord is, is never going to leave us or forsake us and even in the moments where there's silence from the Lord, uh, he's there, he's listening, he's caring, he's feeling the pain um, and, and walking through and, and has prepared a way. And so we walked in the way that was prepared for us, unbeknownst to us, and we continue to do so. Um, and so after uh, our friends received Bristol from my arms, our arms, uh, we continued to share with family and close friends what was happening and make the arrangements for burial um, down in the Marion area where Sarah's from, where her mom is, uh, where she grew up, uh, Marion, Illinois. And, uh, and just doing the, the surreal things of preparing to uh, find, purchase a grave site, a plot, um, the arrangements for a viewing, uh, private, you know, all, just just getting family to travel across the country to be here with us uh, in those moments of the following weekend, um, and then by by Saturday night, um, Bristol was was buried um, next to Sarah's father, uh, and um, and there we were finding amazing joy in, in family and in Hudson and fishing in the pond um, and catching little 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 blue girls, uh, and just living a surreal life but somehow God is in it and uh, and we see it we feel it we know it without being able to really explain it well uh, we just know it certainly one of the most that there were three of the three of the most painful moments for me were handing her body over um, uh, to Scott and just knowing that you you know this is permanent this is um, you know I'm not I'm not seeing her again. Um, the second was shortly after that when we had to uh, travel to Hudson and tell him. And um, if there is pain it, for us in not having Bristol in this life, uh, but the greater pain for me, honestly, is is that he doesn't get this dream of having a sibling that he had longed for and prayed for. And he had, he was so deeply aware um, that we had tried to have children biologically before and couldn't. Um, he knows about the things of death. And he would ask from time to time through this pregnancy if she was going to be okay. And we would reassure him, you know, this is a miracle. Uh, God gave her to us and God's got her. And so having to sit him down and tell her, tell him that she was gone um, was one of my, the most difficult moments of my life. Um, uh, and so that the pieces of faith and this, 
you know, where it gets really complex for us in in life and faith, I think, is I've reconciled for myself the places of glory and grief that they are that they go together, right? Um, that we live in places of grief and God shows up with his glory. Um, and I I have questions, but I also know that I don't I won't have answers to the questions and I just I just trust God with that. But watching and worrying about the the faith of my son, right, in the midst of this, is um, overwhelming at times. Because he, knowing that he will have questions about why God um, provided a gift, right, and then why it was taken away, um, even just a few nights ago, in a moment of grief, when he threw himself on the couch and he said, um, "Here's." weeping and said, God could have stopped it, and he didn't. God could have stopped it, and he Mm. didn't. I can deal with those questions and those hurts for myself. Um, But praying, uh, crying out to God that my son's faith would not um, break, you know, because of of what he's seeing and experiencing now, um, that is... um, as great of a grief in some ways as losing her, watching the impact that it that it will have on our son um, in his life, the joy he should have gotten, right, and being a big brother, and that that being taken away, but then uh, you know potentially just the spiritual impact uh, that it could have on him that we have no control over, right? Um, we can tell him all the right things, and I I'm sure you guys deeply feel this as pastors. We can tell people all the right things about grief and when they're in their trauma saying God is near and God is faithful and God hasn't left you and God didn't cause this pain, but he will redeem it. And we can say all those things, but we have no power to actually determine whether someone believes them and finds hope in them and, and gets through their trauma with their faith intact. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the scariest things as a pastor, but now as a parent to watch it from both ends and say, um, I have to trust the Holy Spirit with Hudson's heart and through this. I have to trust the Holy Spirit with his faith. Um, and I'll do my best, right, to set it up in the right direction and say, Hudson, yeah, buddy, I don't know, but God's with you in your pain, right? He's with you. I, ca- I can do all those things, but the Holy Spirit has to finish. He has to finish the work of um, of making faith for Hudson through the trauma. Um I think one of the things that, you know, so, you know, Gabe and I buried her um, just a few days after uh, there next to my dad, spent um, a a short several hours with our family, um, and then came back to East Moline. And um, by the grace of God, I mean, see, this is what we mean when God shows up in the grief with glory. I mean, as pastors, we were already on vacation because of the move, right? So many pastors take a, a little bit of vacation during the move um, transition um, to just make sure they have time and space to physically move. So we were not um, responsible for the congregations we had left, and we had not yet officially started at our new congregations. And there's glory in God's timing. I mean, honestly— because we didn't have the added worry of carrying um, many congregations through that pain in those days. Um, 
And then as we officially started with Christchurch, um, the church and our conference and leadership were so incredible um, in extending to us a time of family leave. And God was already in it because we had planned that as maternity leave, right? And so um, we were able to just kind of uh, swing the pendulum and start that process of maternity leave just now for different reasons to make sure that the churches were cared for. And so God provided space of rest um, uh, and recovery uh, for us um, in that season. And so, you know, having endured a, a lot of loss at, through pregnancy, one of the things that I think um, mothers, I, I'm sure fathers and families too, worry about is is people forgetting um, the child as if they weren't um, a legitimate, real life. And so some of the most significant relationships, meaningful relationships I have are people who know about our early miscarriages and remember those with us and carry them with us. The same will be true of Bristol. You know, um, it will be a balm to our grieving hearts that people know and remember her. Um that they remember the joy that she brought into our lives and that she's not forgotten because she didn't then live the life that we imagined her to live. And and for me, the primary way in which that happens is continuing to give thanks to God for the miracle of her life that should not have been, right? Uh, the joy of experiencing a, a pregnancy that I would not have had, Um the delight in watching hundreds of people celebrate that with us and begin to believe in new ways that Jesus can still work miracles. Um, and that even in her death, being able to see, A, God's glory through the, the trauma, right? Seeing where God showed up, instead of abandoning us in our pain, He pressed in, right? And and um, did things that that gave us peace or strength or comfort or made the road a little easier. And I get, I totally get the question, uh, you know, but God could have stopped it and he didn't, you know, God could have ended the suffering and he didn't. God, you know, yeah, we won't have answers for those sorts of things in this lifetime um, other than believing that um, (laughs) we live in a sinful, broken world that's full of death, right, Um, because of, of our brokenness. And the, the message of faith through it all has been that God shows up in the death. God shows up in the trauma. God shows up in the broken and um, makes things a little easier to bear, reveals his goodness in little ways. And if people celebrate that and remember that, join us in spotting God's glory, not diminishing the grief, right? It, it, is, it is truly traumatic, but in seeing the glory, then that gives honor I think to Bristol's story in a way that helps Gabe and I feel like she will be remembered and and this trauma will be redeemed. Yeah, there's certainly a um, <laughs> the, the the human side of grief. I mean, we've 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 shared a lot of them back and forth between our experience and and kind of the, the God at work in the midst of it, but. After returning from your mother's, uh, from from Marion, and coming back to the house for the first time with Hudson, and then just sitting in this space, there's there's blankets, there's gifts, there's clothes, there's a, there's there, there, there's 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 car seats, there's all of the the, the actual 
material things, the reminder outside of the pain you're feeling in the absence of having your baby in your arms, and then having to walk through the daily tasks, the normal tasks, the breakfast, uh, waking up, getting out of bed. I mean, let's just back it up, right? <laughs> Opening your eyes and deciding to engage the day and uh, just how Hudson continues to be such a blessing to us because as a 10 year old, you get up because you want to play. You get it because you're hungry and you don't sit in the grief. You, you, you feel it, but you're not processing it the same way as you are as a, an adult. <laughs> uh, makes you think about, uh, you know, come to me uh, as a little child. Makes you think about that verse a little bit differently. So Hudson and, and just caring for him and living with him, being his, 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 uh, his father, his parent, his, uh, his playmate, uh, to a large extent, uh, his sole playmate this summer, because we moved away from all of our friends. Um, we've, we've grieved, and I think we, we've been very intentional with Sarah and I and the training we've had and the experience we've had in his ministry over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, we found ourselves with resources, uh, out, you know, the Psalms, particularly in scripture, and going to the Psalms, and, and we'll talk about that uh, more, uh, but, for, for Hudson and I, we would wake up, we're a little bit more earlier risers than Sarah. She likes to sleep in a little bit more just on a good day. Uh, well, I'm, just, that's, I'm saying it. <laughs> Easy. We, 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 we would wake up and we would sit at the, at the kitchen table and have our breakfast and, and read uh, together. And I would be reading through some resources on grief. And, uh, and one was about uh, creativity uh, through grief and different creative outlets. And so Hudson and I would write laments together. We would work on uh, drawing because he's such an artist. Uh, he loves to draw and to create. And we would do these things together. And I'm, I'm journaling and I'm processing my feelings and my thoughts. And, and I'm helping him, my 10-year-old, to do the same thing on his level. And, and because it's necessary. It's necessary for us to be whole, to, to, to face the realities of our life, and to face them knowing that God is in them. And, and we just, we did it. We, we continue to do it. Uh, and it is a long process. And it is really the way that, that, is, uh, that God has designed for our lives to be. Uh, and so we continue. We continue to seek the word and to continue to seek the words uh, of others who have walked through grief and have created resources uh, to help us process the questions, uh, to help us see the truths of God. Um, and, and that has provided uh, a very uh, healing touch to our broken hearts uh, to be able to function. It started out, we had about five to 10 minutes, maybe 20. We could go get a burger, uh, maybe, maybe do a little venture around town. But if we saw anybody, we, 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 got, we were shut down the rest of the day. Uh, so early on in our grief, we, we had little to offer the world. Uh, and if we would have an experience with a random stranger or, or even someone we knew uh, in the life of, of our church or, or other, it would suck every ounce of our ability to cope with the rest of the day. And we would find ourselves under a blanket, uh, in a chair, on a couch, in a bed uh, for the rest of the day, just kind of looking for, for the space that we needed. 
so there, there's a very real, practical, uh, dirty side of grief too, and it's just getting your hands in the dirt um, and not pushing it away. You know, there's there's times when we're we're driving down the road, maybe alone, Sarah or I alone, and we're we're having words with God. Uh, we're, we're we're expressing these these very animalistic, guttural uh, vocalizations to to God, just kind of yelling, screaming, like why? Just letting letting the inside out, um, and then just continuing to stay connected to our friends, our dear friends. Um, who are, on this podcast and, and others and some family you know and and there's so many that are grieving with us and i think and, and so many cards and messages uh, on different media platforms reaching out to us and sharing the burden with us and and just how that is an expression a beautiful expression of, of the bride of christ of the church just mm-hmm. being the church and we continue to receive that and and and, and work through those it was it was a while it was a while before Sarah and I were ready to sit down and open a lot of the cards that we knew were cards of encouragement in the midst of our grief. I'll call them memorial cards, if you will. And we took a time, we kind of made the stack, and, and I would go through a few of them, but Sarah and I were processing grief differently. We're going through a different experience, though, even together. And one day we went out to a park. We dropped Hudson off somewhere to play with some friends, I think, on his old street in Washington. And we found ourselves outside at a park bench under an oak tree, uh, nobody around, a very remote place of this little park. And we spent the next two hours weeping, opening cards, and receiving messages of encouragement, of of, of shared grief, um, and just, just sitting in that. And it's important uh, to just sit in the grief. And we, we see that in scripture over and over. We look at the book of Job and the story of just sitting in ashes and, uh, and sackcloth, uh, an uncomfortable outer garment, and just recognizing that God is sitting with us in the ashes and it's okay. This is okay. Our phrase has been, it's okay not to be okay, and we're not okay. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I mean, if there's anything I'd want people to kind of hear... The reason we tell our story, we're, we're such open books about the pains of uh, our previous miscarriages, the sudden death of my father, the this stillbirth, um, is because um, we know that other people are walking through similar traumas, right? Um, it's not this trauma. It is their own trauma. Um, but the story of God is the same through it. And so... If, if you need to hear something in our, in our trauma today, um, A, hear our personal gratitude for the love you have extended to us. We would not have survived um, these moments or, or other difficult moments in our life if we didn't know that you all were holding us up with your prayers. I have no other way to express it than it gives me physical strength to know people, so many people are praying. And as they tell me that recently, um, I plead with them. I say, don't stop. Please don't stop. Because I am not yet Mm. strong enough to hold myself up. I still need you to hold me up. And so if you're if you're listening to this, do not stop praying now, okay? Don't quit because we are not we're not okay. <laughs> uh, so please keep praying. Um, but I would yeah I would say this right the story of the gospel, uh, the story of the whole Bible, the whole narrative, is we are in brokenness, right? We are mm-hmm. in the trauma. We are in the brokenness. 
um, we do a disservice in thinking that this life is supposed to be together. And that um, if we mm. could just put the pieces together right, then life is good. No, this life is broken. It is painful. It's mm-hmm. traumatic. It's imperfect. It's full of suffering. It, life mm. is sackcloth and ashes. Um, and the whole message of the whole gospel is that God is in it, right? And so we do mm. this horrible thing of reversing it, that God is in it when it's good, instead of recognizing that um, no, the story of the message of all of this is that Jesus is with us when it's not good, and this isn't good. This isn't our home. This isn't how God intended it to be, um, and it has made me long for the things of the kingdom more than ever. Right? Um, because you go, no, this isn't God's intention. This isn't His perfect creation. This this is brokenness and sin and pain and trauma and death. Um, and where does God enter in? And so, if I could plead with you or beg you to to find hope in your trauma, it is that. It is don't expect the trauma to go away, right? Look for God in the trauma. Where is God sitting with you in your ashes? And and some of the deepest moments of my own experience with God have come in these few weeks where I have said, uh, Larry has heard me say especially, I feel like I ran a marathon because we needed to get through this move and transition and appointment and try to get a baby here and make sure our son survived move and, and all of that. I feel like I ran a marathon, but I came in like a thousandth place, crossed the finish line, lost a leg in the process, bleeding and vomiting, right? Like physically fell across the finish line. Like we got here, but we didn't all make it here. I, we did not get everybody across the finish line. And that broke me. Um, and the last several weeks have been Jesus sitting with me as I lay out on the street, right? Like like laying in his lap, like you would lay in your daddy's lap um, and, and just being there and going, that's okay. I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to mm-hmm. lay flat, right, in my father's lap. And when I have strength to sit up, I'll sit up, right? And when I have strength to stand with him, I will stand with him. <laughs> I'm gonna leave, I'll leave you with this image that I am still processing a bit. We, you know, we all just got back from New Room, uh, an incredible conference. If you do not go, get yourself there next year. Um, and we're that all means you, Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, I didn't make it this year. And everybody else listening, um, you know, the last night um, there was throughout the whole conference there was this message of grief and pain and trauma because we all endured it this year with COVID and. And everything else, and and um, <laughs> where are the graves in your life, right? Where where are these places of trauma and pain and death? And um, <laughs> and I I prayed that night. I, I literally went up to the steps and I laid out on the steps, and I and I said, "Okay, God, I'm in my grave, right? You know, that's that's where we are. I'm in my grave. There's there's no denying that that I am down in the depths of this dark grave of trauma and loss." And the, the conference encouraged us to pray for resurrection, right? To pray for new life and new hope. So I laid there face down and like, okay, God, I'm in my grave. Resurrect me. Resurrect me. And <laughs> Jesus just so very calmly said, not yet. Hmm. Not yet. And I, I wasn't mad about it. I went, okay, okay. This season in, in my life, I can't speak for Gabe, but is to be in the grave with Jesus. 
just to be there and that that is okay mm-hmm. and that's enough mm-hmm. and um resurrection will come it's already coming more than i could have ever anticipated if you had asked me a month ago no well i guess a month and a half ago about preaching i'd say no way no way i can preach a sermon so god is already resurrecting but this bigger picture of how he will redeem our story and Bristol's story, which I, I believe he will, he'll redeem her life. Um, how he will bring new joy. He's already redeeming Yeah, he's already redeeming it. But how there'll be like big, transformative, new joy, new hope, new life, we cannot yet see. And Jesus is saying, not yet, you know, uh, but he's in, the, he's in the grave with us. And so, you know, as we wrap up today, because um, we could go on and on with our story, I just want you all listening to hear that, you know, he's with you in your grave, you know, he's down in it with you. He's, he sits in the ashes. He holds you close and it's okay to be there with Jesus, right? It's okay to be in the ashes with Jesus. I need to, there's, and you're right, we're in the grave uh, and I love that image. And I, I was there behind you and kind of keeping an eye on you to be close. um, And you were on those steps arms crossed, face down on the steps. And yeah, it was, it was a very, very powerful image. And then what was going on in my heart, in my mind in those moments, and just just being near, you know, coming close. You know, when you go to the altar, when you go toward the front, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a physical, uh, visual, something you can feel as if you're approaching the throne. Um, just because you're you're walking toward and and there's something in that, um, and just being prayed with, being prayed over, uh, and, a, and a number of times uh, and throughout the whole conference for New Room, it, it is so God centered and the presence of God is is just so thick because there's so many people. Every person that is there is seeking the things of God. Um, there was a there was an invitation to to walk through a door. And there was a door on stage, just a, a, a small frame and a door. Um, and if you heard God calling you toward something, to something, leading you, motivating you, uh, giving you a word, uh, to you were invited to to come up on the main stage and walk through the door. And I watched so many do that. Um, but before that happened, there was a word I felt given to me, and I was just processing that and checking that and trying to see if that was really God saying something to me. And it was very simple. It was the word walk. 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 And, and I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to process that. And it was after everything was over and worship was, was, was done, and there was, there was no more music playing, and people were talking, and most of the room was empty. I found myself walking through the door as a just another physical sign and, and, and something to, to testify to myself and uh, now I'm sharing it with who's ever listening just to continue to walk because you're right we may have crossed that marathon line but we lost a leg and a few other things along the way. And yet we've gained so much more that we don't even know about yet. And I'm thinking about, you know, Jesus and, and Martha and why Jesus didn't show up earlier to Lazarus 
and to heal him and to care for him and to care for that family that he loves so much. And Martha is sitting in her grief for four days and Jesus shows up and she's mad at him. And Jesus is like, it's okay. I know, I know, I know. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And this four-day-old man, friend, leper, comes out. And so I'm going to continue to walk. Because I know that my God does things like that. Guys, thanks so much for this. Um, There are so many people that are in seasons of trauma and grief and we try to rush this you know and that's uh, that's why we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna continue talking about this next month we're gonna talk about lament um and lament is not something you can rush you um you're you're there you're in it psalm 139 if i go up to heaven you're there if i'm down in the grave you are there. Um, mm-hmm. And when we find ourselves in the grave in this life, we try to rush out of that thing because it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's, it's a place of death. But even there, um, God is there. Um, and uh, we, we trust with you that, that God continues to um, redeem Bristol's story. Um, so much joy in the midst of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, in my in my kitchen on New Year's Eve when you told us mm-hmm. us all dancing around the the table that joy is real that joy yeah. doesn't go anywhere yeah you know um, when when you got the call about um, about uh, the the Down syndrome diagnosis like uh, I, Brittany was with Gabe we were in Florida for school they were where they needed to be I was with Sarah like there's this this moment of we're we're together in in this and that's there's there's joy in that and then um you talk about hudson like so excited for this um and i've seen a change in him when it comes to the way he relates to my girls i mean they always played well together but there came a point of okay they're younger than me now i'm done with this he's their brother now i mean that's 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 a real um that's a real thing. He's he's adopted them. So there's there's that joy in that. There's also that that grief and anger and um, God can God is in the midst of all that. So thank you so much for um, for sharing that. Um, uh, by design, by design, Adam and I have been more quiet this time. We're all going to jump in next time when we talk about uh, talk about lament and um, and and how to walk through that. You guys have shared a very personal. Um, a piece of that and then we're gonna we're gonna shift this around to um, how how we all together individually and as a church deal with the things of lament with with our culture with with covid um, personal things so that's where we're that's where we're headed yeah Um, it's something we're we're no good at (laughs) because church has done the fake hi how are you you know thing and i'm I'm actually god bless you yeah I'm actually really mm-hmm. feeling like um, a big part of our ministry, and I don't just mean Gabe and I, I mean the church, the church, will be shifting mm-hmm. gears to just that hope in the brokenness, glory in the grief, mm-hmm. Jesus in the ashes, instead of the church sort of pretending like everything is together. 
and then deeply believing, mm-hmm. yeah, that he's the God of resurrection, he's the God of hope, he's mm-hmm. the God of miracles, he's the God of possibility, and he still does those things in the ashes. And the church um, and pastors haven't done a great job of, <laughs> Larry will love this, he's about to, he'll jump up out of his seat, right? It is the both and. It is not either or. Come on now. <laughs> it is the both and, right, of, of grief and glory, a God of miracle and resurrection and a God that's with you in the suffering. And um, and and that's part of why I keep going in ministry is to share that message, mm-hmm. right? Um, not just that God is good all the time because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't feel good and, all and, the time. And, and he, he is good all the time. That doesn't mean that it's a false sense of joy. Yes. even when you're down in the grave – there's hope. I yes. don't know what it looks like to climb out of the grave. I don't know what resurrection looks like. Yeah. But I know that he's with me in it. He's with all of us in it. And and that's what's worth it. You yeah. know, it's that you can do all of these things. God, you could have stopped this. You can keep this from happening, whatever. But even if you don't, you're still our only hope. Yes. Yeah. Um, you have his you have his presence and his promises to cling to. Yeah. In yeah. Those it's moments. like the rope. It's like the rope down over the grave, right? That that yeah. mm-hmm. he will be getting you out, you know? Um, and then that's not yeah. to mention, we kind of hit on it, and I'd love for it to come up in the next uh, episode, about the role that the church body plays in that. Because I don't know, yeah. I do not know how people survive trauma like this without the community holding you up. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's a massive part in it. So if you're listening to that, let that be the kick in the pants that you need the church. You, yeah. you cannot survive the world's mm-hmm. brokenness without the church can't survive without the church and the church has to learn how to do this better yes um, yes and we'll, and we'll talk about this next month the blog post i made the 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 response to it from from pastors from people that i have never even met reaching out to me feeling safe to say i felt like quitting yeah or over over the last 18 months you know i was ready to give up you know um we've got to do a better job of this all around so we're going to talk about a theology of of lament um and kind of living in in that place but Lest we go too far down that road, <laughs> we got to do something fun. Um, oh my gosh! This, please. this is heavy. It, it, please yes. change this. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play a game today. Um, oh boy! <laughs> let me let, let me pull it up here. Uh, this somebody introduced me to this game while we were driving to New Room. Uh, John Chris did it on his uh, uh, his thing. Uh, this game is called Church or Weed Shop. <laughs> oh boy. I'm pretty sure we just pulled a hard 180. Yes, we did. Um, and we Woo. need it. We need it. I mean, there's uh, we, we need it. So I'm going to give you a name, and y'all are going to tell me if it's a church or a cannabis dispensary. For real? Yeah. Okay. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Next level. Church. Church. I'm, I'm going weed dispensary. It is a church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey. <laughs> Kentucky. Level up. Level up. Oh, weed. Can weed I just dispensary. do the thing where you always pick tails and I'll just always say <laughs> weed dispensary and eventually I'll be right? Maybe. Level Up is a, dis- it's a dispensary in Scottsdale, Arizona. There you go. Mm-hmm. Levels. Levels. Levels? Levels Church? I'm church. trying to even think of what that would mean. Is Maybe we shouldn't name. describe where these dispensaries are. We're not trying to promote that. We just want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it I'm is all. Awesome. It is awesome. I'm gonna go dispensary. It is a dispensary. Yeah, it is a dispensary. Uh, rise, church. Oh, that's in Effingham. 
I drive past it on, on I-70. the same thing. Dispensary or church? Dis- that's it's a dispensary. Because <laughs> okay. we all I know saw that it for like, a fact. like 48 hours ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, arise. Church. church. I'm hoping it's a church. It's a church in Brandon, Florida. <laughs> okay. Uplift. Oh, boy. Are we going dispensary. back and forth? This is like Uplift Church. Uh, I'm going to dispensary. It's a church in Liberty, Washington. (laughs) All right. Same thing. Uplift, except the I is replaced with a Y. Uplift. Dispensary. Oh, well, trendy. That's a a dispensary in in Hollywood. That's that's an ad for the Lyft uh, organization. (laughs) You think so? Okay. uh, If that was a church, the pastor and I would have had a conversation about changing the Yeah, like the the weird spelling thing is weird. Elevate is. Elevate life. I know there's a lot of church. There's got to be a church. It's a church in Frisco, Texas. (laughs) Elevated. That's a that's a dispensary. 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 The Vine. Church. Church. It's a dispensary in Anaheim, California. (laughs) What? What? The Vineyard. Church. Church. Uh, Church. (laughs) The the branch. Davidian dispensary. Well, you got the the vine and the branch. <laughs> you guys are too young for that to be a joke. Sorry. Dispensary. It's a church. Okay. All right. Here's where here's where it's going to get hard. Spirit leaf. Oh jeez. <laughs> I should preface this by saying that it's it's Canadian and they they love leaf. Hmm. Well, different in Canada. Everything's different in Canada. Maple hey. leaf. Spirit Maple leaf. Dispensary. Spirit. Yeah. Dispensary. Yes. In the Calgary airport. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Turning leaf. That takes flying high to a whole new level. Turning, <laughs> <laughs> Turning Why are leaf. Why doing this? This needs to stop. <laughs> Gabe can't hang. Uh, Turning leaf. Church. Church. Yeah, I'm going Na- church. It's a Nazarene church in Phoenix. Good deal. Uh, new leaf. Ch- church. Dispensary. Is this Gabe's one also right. in it's Canada? A, it's a... It's no, it's a United Methodist Church in Ohio. New <gasps> like you're turning over a new leaf. Yeah. Nice. Seed and supply. Well, duh. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's got to be a dispensary. Nope, it's a church in Colorado. <laughs> no. What's the supply? What I'm not, I'm I don't know. To I didn't, out name, these, I didn't like, name the church. He is your supply. How, how, Jesus how, is your supply. How about this one? I, I guess. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> Just for kicks, let's go church. It is a church in Tacoma, Washington. Oh my no, gosh. dope church. These like, are blunt is so dope. Blunt. That's got to be a dispensary. There's no way. There is no way. That's a church. It is a church. No, it is a church in Blunt, Oklahoma. Okay. But the blunt church's Baptist name is church. just bl- okay. Blunt Baptist Church. Okay. okay. Well, he couldn't have said that. I would have given that it. That was a trick. Okay. Last one. Stoner Hill. <laughs> That's in Stoner Hill, Iowa. Church. Is that right? Is that a yeah, church? Yeah, it's got to be like the name of the town. It's a church yeah. in Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport. <laughs> yeah, leave it to leave it to Louisiana to <laughs> to do that. That's all the time we have for this episode of Midnight Theology. And uh, like Sarah said, we hope that you'll take some time to take care of you, no matter what you're walking through. Jesus is with you. We hope you'll join us next month when we'll continue on the same arc. Uh, We'll be talking about biblical lament. Uh, We're really excited that we'll be joined by a great friend and mentor, George Acevedo, who's the lead pastor of Grace Church in Southwest Florida. 
Until then, thanks for joining us on Midnight Theology. We're excited to be back with our late night ponderings. And no matter what kind of grief or trauma you find yourself in, remember what Carl Jung once wrote, Dawn is born at midnight. We'll see you next time. Thank you.